Mark chapter number 11. We're moving down through here. We're uh, obviously a new chapter tonight. We did Blind Bartimaeus last time. And uh, we're moving here into the last week of the life of Christ. Uh, we're moving into those. We're really about five days out here now before the cross. Uh, he dies in chapter 15. So 11 to 15, there's a lot of events that are going to take place. Um, here, uh, Mark 11, just verse 1, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this, say ye that... Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. So we have the entry into Jerusalem. In the religious realm, they call this the uh, triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, and so forth. So obviously here, it's uh, not that in Scripture, um, but it is, a, it is a significant event, so much so that all four Gospels carry this event. Uh, very seldom do all four carry the events. Usually it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John doesn't, or Matthew and Mark, and then Luke and John don't, or something like that. But here, so there's a lot of, a lot of information here, a lot of things we're going to look at. And uh, again, there's, it's way too much to see in just one pass through, so we're going to just kind of introduce it and, and uh, work our way down into some of the verses but there's a tremendous amount of material from really here on out about the, the, the five days, the week before the cross, and so forth. So when you do see all four accounts like this have the same event, you need to pay attention to it. It's critical. It's signifying some very important things. Obviously, we've looked at this event when we studied Matthew and Luke and John. We'll, again, just look at it here in the study uh, as we study it from Mark and how Mark presents the Savior as that servant. And here he is, Lord the servant, and we'll move through there. So there's some key things here to grasp and to see and uh, some things that he's doing his. So now, all through the earthly ministry of Christ, you, you'll see the Lord say, My hour has not come yet. My hour has not come yet. Well, now his hour has come. It's at hand. And he understands that. He knows it. He's been trying to educate the, the little flock to it, the 12 apostles and so forth. And so now he's moving. So here we have him uh, come in to uh, Jerusalem, verse 1, when they came nigh to Jerusalem. So blind Bartimaeus, they've been up to Jericho and we saw that last time now we have him going in we read the first three verses verse 4 and they went their way and found the colt tied up uh, tied by the door without in a place where two ways meet and they loose him and certain of them that stood there said unto them what do ye loosing the colt and they said unto them even as Jesus had commanded and they let them go and they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him, 
and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed crying, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. So that's the event of him coming into Jerusalem and the crowd there proclaiming him Hosanna. And that, it, 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 that word Hosanna is, it means save us, save us now. And they understand uh, the very nature of the kingdom. Verse 10, 9 there, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So Jehovah, save us now. Messiah, save us now. But yet, verse 10 Blessed be the kingdom of, the, of, of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So they understand the very nature of the kingdom that they're expecting. They're expecting a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. There's none of this stuff that we looked at before about the kingdoms in the heart of men. No, it's not. It's a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. They understood that. They haven't quite caught the spiritual component yet, but they'll get there. Now, again, we've been last time, verse 40, chapter 10, verse 47. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, blind Bartimaeus. And he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So even Bartimaeus says what? You're the Messiah. You're the one who's to bring the kingdom of our father David. You're the guy. You are the one. And again, blind. That spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. So before he goes into Jerusalem to die, he gets, he, he, you see the pledge of victory, if you will, that Christ is going to accomplish as he goes into Jerusalem. So what you have here in chapter 11 is off he goes. Now, Mark's going to quote Psalms 118. We'll get down there, that verse 9 there, Hosanna. Uh, Matthew and Luke and John, they quote Zechariah 9. So we'll, and we'll, we're going to look at all of that. So the first thing in all of this is that what we have to see is this event is fulfilling prophecy. That's what this event is doing. Uh, Luke 19, we're going to get over there in just a second, that parallel passage. It's fulfilling prophecy. That's the first thing we've got to catch here. So when you see what's going on, there's a prophetic presentation of the Messiah to the nation of Israel, but it's going to be a clear fulfillment of prophecy. So come back to Daniel chapter 9, uh, the passage in Daniel. Daniel chapter Number nine in Daniel nine, we have the time schedule of the of the times of the Gentiles, and this time schedule lays out for us the Daniel two. You have Nebuchadnezzar in the great image, so you see the Gentile nations that are going to come first: Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, and then Greece. But in history, Greece is busted up in the four. 
So you got the Roman Greco Empire, that's Greece, and then you got Syria and the other guys and so forth. So as you begin to, Daniel is going to, he's a prophet, he's not a historian. I read a couple months ago about Daniel the historian. He's not, he's a prophet. Here's what's going to come. Israel sits in Babylonian captivity, that fifth course of judgment from Leviticus 26 that Moses said, if you don't hearken, this is what's coming. And that's that issue of Gentile rule and dominion. They're under the Gentiles. And they lose the opportunity to be the head, to be the top. Now, they're going to lose that until the Lord comes back in his second coming and straighten it all back up. So in Daniel here, Daniel 9, we're going to get the time schedule. And we've seen this, but we've got to get this back as we think about where we're at coming into Jerusalem. 924, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So there's 70 weeks. 70 in Scripture, it's a weeks. Weeks can be weeks of years, weeks of months, weeks of days. It's 70 weeks of something. In this case, it's years. They just spent 70 years in the Babylonian captivity, and that was so that the land could have her rest. Now that's over. So David, is, and that's what the beginning of chapter 9 is all about with David's prayer. He's ready to, he's praying that national prayer of confession. He's ready to go back in the land, and the Lord says, hang on a minute. I'm not going to put a dirty people in a clean land. It's going to be, 490 years, 70 weeks of years to clean the people up. Okay, now watch what he's going to do. By the way, upon thy people, Israel, and thy holy city, that's Jerusalem, Matthew 5. So we have, it's going to take seven somethings a week, seven something. Again, you can have a week of days, a week of months. By the way, in prophecy, months, a month in prophecy is 30 days. So if you think about 30 times 12, what is that? 360 days. We have five because we've got a few months. I can't figure out which way they want to go. Okay? But so he's got 70 years. Now watch verse 25. Now that know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem... Unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous time. So we have the going forth to build the city. That's Nehemiah 2. Okay, not to build the temple. The verse says the city. That's going to go seven years, so or seven weeks. So that's 49 years. Then the wall's going to be built, and then we're going to go 62, whoops, 62 more weeks, so 483, no, 434, sorry. <laughs> just, you know, it's just us, right? Uh, I lost my, uh, 
434, so you got 483 years complete here, okay? So what they can do, by the way, there's going to be a 70th week over here. We call that the tribulation, it's called the tribulation, all right? So there's 70 weeks, 62 weeks, verse 25. Verse 26, and after three score, so after this time, there's Calvary, okay? That's why the wise men knew when to pay attention to and look for the kingdom. I'm sorry, the king. That's why Anna, Anna and Simeon in the temple, what can they do? They know that they can figure out we got 434 years. The Messiah is going to be our prince, our, our, pre, our, our king, our prophet, and our priest. The priests have to be are 30 years before they start public ministry. Okay? They go in, and about 15, 16 to 20, they're in training. 20 to 30, they're in training. 30, they're released. So what do we do? We back this up 30 years. And we get an idea, they get an idea of when the Lord is to be born. And, and again, the Bible-believing Jews understood this. They knew it, it's there, they can work it out. We can work it out to a degree, because we don't, again, if you don't know that the months in prophecy are 30 days, and you think 31, you, then you get wiggle, you get a little wiggle room in there. But notice something here, verse 26, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So there's a gap of time in here, okay, that starts after the 69th week is over, that's going to run to right there, to the start. So there's a gap here in the prophetic calendar, and no one knows how long this gap's going to run. Now, just you and I, and we did this when we, when we started the book of Mark, we gap the gap. Okay, here's the body. Here's the dispensation of grace. All right, we gap the gap. I like that, that's why so I say it. We gap the gap, okay? What's going to happen? There's going to be wars. The city's going to be destroyed. All of that information here that's going to happen. Uh, end of the war, desolations, flood, you know, trouble is going to be here. Well, we interrupt that. None of that has happened. Actually, after this, we have Acts 1 to 7, and then bam, none of that's happened yet. So really, this side's going to be the war and the city destroyed, because we're going to go home and meet the Lord in the air, and off we go, see? So when you think about where we're at here in Mark 11, we are right up here. We're right ready to go in. The, the prophetic picture is moving right along. Now, come over to Luke 19. Luke 19. And uh, we're going to go to Psalms 118, Luke 19, and then we're going to go to Psalms 118, but Luke 19 first. 
So the reason the wise men, the reason Mary, the Virgin Mary, when Gabriel showed up, she was a little troubled about some of the details, but she wasn't, she wasn't like John the Baptist's dad where he just was like, no, that ain't going to, you know, he, she was good to go. So the Jewish Bible study student would know, would understand. We're going to back those 434 years up. So we're going to back that up 30 years, so we're good to go. And they could get it down pretty close. <coughs> now Luke 19, verse 28. Here's the parallel passage to Mark 11. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. Again, ascending up. Geography, uh, Jerusalem is elevated. So he's going up. Jer they, we go down to Jericho. Jericho is north of Jerusalem but it's down in the, in the valley, so you're going to go down, okay? And it came to pass when he had, was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany uh, at the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, so he, again, sends them to get the colt and the, 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 the mom and the, and the baby donkey. Verse oh, 35, and they brought him to Jesus and cast their garments upon the colt, and they, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So here they come. Now, verse 38 is going to come out of Zechariah 9, and we'll get there in just a minute. But it's also going to come out of Psalms 118. But just real quick, notice verse 39. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. When he says it, he's looking at the city. He's not talking to the people. He's looking at the city and he says, This thy day. He's going back to Daniel 9.26 it's this is the day that's where he's at okay again calvary is after the 69 weeks are done then we go calvary so as he's looking down here he says this is thy day verse 43 for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee so now we're going to have the fulfillment of daniel 926 where the cities destroyed, the war, and the flood, and the desolations, and all of that come. So Jesus Christ, right here, he's saying the 69 weeks are over with. At this moment, this is the day that the 69th week comes to a conclusion. He, he says, look, he's coming into the city on the back of the, the fold, the colt of an ass. He's coming in, and he says, this is the day. This is exactly this day when this is going to happen. 
Now, come back to Psalms 118 and watch the quote here and what we see out of the, out of the Psalms. Psalms 118, verse 24. Psalms 118, 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And everybody says, see, amen, praise the Lord. And that verse goes to church every Sunday. But that is not about today. It's about this day right here where he's coming into the, it's, he's, he's coming to die. He's talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about what we're reading in Mark 11, what we just read in Luke 19. Now watch verse 25. You see that save now, okay? That, so the Hebrew word translated into English is Hosanna, and it means save now, okay? So if in Luke and in the Gospels, when they move Hosanna into the English, in the Greek and the English, that's the Hebrew word that says what? Save now, verse 25. I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. So there they are. They are quoting Psalms 118 when they say, Hosanna, blessed is the Lord, here he is, save us now. Boom, there he is. So they're really, when they say Hosanna, he, you know, and so forth, they're in Luke, and in Mark, and Matthew, and John as well, they're really quoting Psalms 118. By the way, look at 118, look at verse 27. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. John 18 quotes that and says, that's Calvary. See where we're at? We're here, and then what happens next? Calvary. See that? So even so, the first thing out of the bat here is that these tremendous, the timing of these events is fulfilling prophecy. So come back to Mark 11. So that's the first thing to catch. This stuff just isn't happening. Well, okay, you know, I think we'll, you know, it was it was 80 today. So let's do this. No, it's not that at all. He's he's right on time. Mark, um, actually, Mark 11, verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Now, we'll see that colt here, that donkey here in, in just a few minutes. But come over to Matthew 21, and, and notice the, the information in Matthew. Because, again, we're talking about fulfilled prophecy. And the thing about the colt, and the mom being there, and the cult, the two, is very, you know, we'll see it. Matthew 21, I'm getting ahead of myself. And when they drew nigh, 21.1, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Notice, it's interesting. Bring mom and the donkey and the baby. Why? Well, the baby's not going to go anywhere with mom, without mom, and mom's going to pitch a fit if you try to take her baby, so bring them, okay? 
But again, it's, we're going to go back into uh, Zechariah, and we're going to see fulfilled prophecy. Verse 3, And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. Again, fulfill, we're fulfilling prophecy. So come to Zechariah 9. And just Zechariah 9, 9 is the quote. Go get Genesis 49 first. Okay? The reason that he sent for the donkey is because the prophet said that's what he's going to do. That's how he's going to come into Jerusalem. And when he's sitting on that colt, that's how you know it's him, Messiah. He's going to do all of this. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to make the blind see. He's going to cast out the unclean spirits. He's gonna, but then here, again, one more solidification of he is who he says he is. Now, Genesis 49, all the way back to Jacob, and Jacob is going to give a, a prophetic history for his 12 boys. By the way, the Lord does this with Noah. He does it with, with uh, Moses and the children. So this isn't anything new. And he lays out the prophetic issues here of the, with the 12 sons, what's going to happen. Now, watch verse 9. Genesis 49, 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. So we're talking about Judah. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So the scepter, the king. Judah is the royal bloodline. Where the king's going to come from is Judah. That's the tribe. The line that's going to produce the prince of peace, the Messiah, that's where he comes from is Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Shiloh, the, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a town of peace is the town. So the prince of peace is going to come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding, now watch, binding his foal into the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Now, look at, notice that. You've got to watch verse 11 carefully here. What in the world is he talking about in verse 11? Well, verse 10 What's going to happen? When the Prince of Peace comes, what's he going to do? He's going to gather up the believing remnant of Israel. Okay? And he's going to come in riding the, the colt unto the choice vine, binding his foal unto the vine. The vine, is, uh, in, the vine tree is a picture of the nat nation, the national history of Israel. Okay, the fig, we're going to see it in Mark 11, has to do with the religious history of Israel. 
That's why the fig tree, the fig tree, it's, it's, a, it's got leaves on it. It says, I'm ready to have, I have fruit, come and look. And yet when he goes and looks in Mark 11, it's barren. There's no fruit. So he curses it, chops it down. He doesn't chop it down, but he curses it, okay? Why? Because that vain religious system of Israel, it looks good, but it's not producing the fruit it's supposed to. Now, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. But look here, though. Now, hold, slip something into Genesis 49 and run to Zechariah 9. Turn your Bible page over. Or you guys with your things, you can clip them, mark them. Zechariah 9, 9. What's he going to do in Genesis 49? He's going to gather everybody up, and he's going to come in. Zechariah 9, verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now notice that. Now this Zechariah 9 is going to amplify Genesis 49. The king. Here's Shiloh. Here's the prince of peace. He's here now. Okay? And the first thing he's going to do is he's going to bind his ass to the vine, the pe his people. He came to, unto his people. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So there's the nation of Israel. The choice vine's going to end up being the believing remnant. Because what's he doing in his earthly ministry? Getting them together. So what you're reading about in 9.9, in he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon. He's lowly, meek and lowly. We're talking about his first coming. So when you go back there to Genesis 49, verse 11, you have both of his comings in one verse. And that's what's happening here. When the Lord comes... In his second coming, Revelation 19, is he riding a donkey or a horse? He's riding a stallion. He's riding that white horse. He's not riding a baby donkey. So what you see in the prophets is that thing in 1 Peter 1, when the prophets write and they don't understand what they're reading, what is the Genesis, what's Moses writing in Genesis 49? He's got both comings in one verse, doesn't understand it. Zechariah 9, 9 is talking about his first coming, Zechariah 12 is going to talk about his second coming, see? So when you read these, what you have is, you again, Genesis 49, 11, binding his foal, and then the, uh, the, uh, his ass is cold under the choice vine. There's the first coming. Second coming, he washes his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of the grapes. Now, let Zechariah go and run to Isaiah 63, just so you see that that's talking about uh, second coming, Isaiah 63. You almost need a flow chart to keep all this straight, but you get there. We see it now because we have the completed revelation. We have the completed book. We can go back and we can, we can put this stuff in. So his first come, Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments?
from Bozrah. What did they do with the blood of the grape, grape juice? They dyed clothing with it, okay? This, uh, and they made wine too, but there's a dye there. Uh, this that is glorious in his apparel, tra traveling in the greatness of his strength. I think I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the wine press alone. See that? That's the second coming. As he comes down out of the north, down through there, Bozrah and Idumea, he comes across there, and what's he doing? He's, his clothes are bloodied up, the blood of the grape. It's, it's a bloody mess. So when you look at this, now, uh, get Psalms 45. Let all that go. We're going to go back to Zechariah 9. Uh, Psalms 45. Psalms 45, the whole of the psalm is a second coming of Christ's psalm. Psalm 45, verse 3, gird thy sword upon thy thigh. O most mighty with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemy, whereby my people fall under thee. Psalms 45, verse 3 through 6, verse 6, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Again, that is second coming. Now, real quick, go back there to Zechariah 9. We read verse 9, but if you look at verse 10, here's the second coming as well. Uh, Zechariah 9, 9, uh, cometh unto thee, he is just and having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Verse 10, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from river even to river, the end, to the ends of the earth, and for thee also by the blood. And just, it's gonna, there's just desolation. So when you come back to, to Mark, actually come on up back over here to John 12, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke and John quote Zechariah 9. Luke, or Mark quotes Psalms 118, and they, they're, it's his first coming is what's being fulfilled by him coming into Jerusalem. He's not coming as king. He's coming lowly and meek. He's coming as savior. He's got to go and die. I mean, think about, he says to those two guys, go get the donkey, and if they ask you, you tell them that the Lord needs him. Why? There's his poverty. He's, he's, doesn't ha he can't afford his own donkey? You know, what's up with that? Well, though he were rich, for our sakes he became poor. See? So you've got pictures all through here. Um, John 12, I, I don't know if I told you that, John chapter 12, John 12, and this is really why this is important as we come across here, 
John 12, verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Notice that. The next day took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, much people. So it's the same event as Mark 11, Matthew 21, Luke 19. But notice on the next day, much people that were come to the feast. These people who hail him as Hosanna are not the citizens of Jerusalem. They're actually people who have been following the Lord paying attention, all in his public ministry, all over Galilee, and they are now in Jerusalem for Passover. If you look across the page at chapter 11, verse 55, and the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. See, all of the people from that Galilean ministry that he had had up there, they... They have been following, so they know who he is. They see him coming in on the donkey. They recognize him audibly as who he is, Messiah. He's, we've been watching him. We've been following him. We know who he is. And look at this. He's fulfilling it right down to the T, and he's our guy. Now, look at 12.12, on the next day. So look at 12.1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now, just think about this, because this gets to be key here when we, where'd my shot go? When we begin to look at this. So you have... You have the Calvary, Passover. That's the 14th day of their month, Abib, our, uh, corresponds to our April, okay? 14th day. So we're going to go back 13, 12, 11, 10, and 9. And we're going to do that for a reason, okay? <laughs> All right? But when you but so look at chapter twelve, watch verse nine. By the way, it's interesting that on his way to the cross, he stops at Lazarus' house. And the leaders in Jerusalem, they don't like that. Verse nine, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, also whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. See? So you got some things going on here in the story that Mark doesn't care about because he's moving right through. Okay? Now, let's think about the six days. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right? The ninth is a Saturday, we got a Sunday, we got a Monday, we got a Tuesday. He dies on Thursday. He doesn't die Friday. That's religious tradition. 
Catholic, Roman Catholic tradition. The fundamentalists say Wednesday, it's too much time, and we've looked at all that. But just go back with me to Exodus 12, because why this is important as we look at the, the record here. The reason he dies on Thursday is because that's what the Bible says when he died, was Thursday. Okay? So you've got Saturday, and we're going to have Sunday, and then we're going to roll it out here. Exodus 12 and verse number 12. Here's the first mention of Passover. Okay? 12-12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So Israel's, the first Passover is right here. All of the other Passovers are just memorials of the redemption out of Egypt. This is the real deal right here, okay? Now everything else is just there until we get to here, which is going to be the fulfillment of, okay? Acts 2, the day of Pentecost was fully come. Pentecost has been fulfilled. It'll never be repeated. Now, pictures of it are, but not the real deal, okay? Now, look back. You're in Exodus 12. Go back up to verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. If you look at chapter 13 and verse 4, this day came ye out in the month Abib. Okay? So go back to chapter 12. So you have Abib. Before the Babylonian captivity, it's called Abib. After the Babylonian captivity, it's called Nisan. Nisan. <laughs> no, it's N-I-S. Nisan, that corresponds to our April. Now, I know what happens because I've looked at them. You get in the handbooks and they're like, well, it's really March 15th to April 15th. No, it's just April. Keep it simple, stupid. You, you know, you get this, well, it's and you try to. The exact isn't here in Scripture. So we'll just let's just use, keep it simple. So what do we have? On the, there, the, the uh, Exodus 12, 2. Their first month of their year is April. Just like January is our first month, theirs is April. This is, the, this is the month that God gave birth to the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. Verse 3, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb, for a house, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So what are they going to do on the tenth day? They're going to take the lamb, right, and they're going to watch him without spot and blemish. Verse 6, and ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, 
and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Okay? So what are we going to do on the 14th day? We're going to kill it, which is what they did with, with the Lord. Okay? So the 10th day, they are selecting the lamb. They're going to watch it for the three days. Monday, Tuesday, right? They're going to make sure it's spotless, without blemish. It's right on. And then on the 14th day, they're going to kill it. So he presents himself, Mark 11, right here on that 10th day. Why? Because he is the true lamb of God. And he's ready to go. Now come back to Mark 11. He's ready to go. He puts himself as the king, coming in as meek and lowly, riding on the back end of a baby donkey, a jack, a donkey, colt, the ass, and so forth. And he's coming in to be their redeemer. He's not coming in as king to win the glory and power and the holy angels with him, Matthew 25. He's not doing that yet. That's over here, okay, when he comes back. Right now, he's just going in in his first coming. Now, go back to Mark 11. Mark 11. <clears throat> and he's, verse 2. And saith unto them, Go your way into the village. Oh, by the way, he sends two of his disciples, and we'll see that next time what the two's about. Okay? But they're going to go in over into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied there whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. Now, we know mom and the colt are there and so forth. He, untie them. He knows they're there. Go get them, bring them back here. That's his wisdom. Who is he? He's God. His foreknowledge, he knows. If anyone says anything to you, verse 3, why do they, ye need this? You say unto them, the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. The word of the king, authority, you tell him. Again, the Lord needs him. He's, again, showing his poverty, his dependence upon things to be where the word of the Father has said they will be. He needs that to be there. Again, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says it. Though he were rich, for our sakes he became poor. Why? So that we could be rich. That's what he's demonstrating here. He's demonstrating his deity. He's God but God who became man, and he's living in our poverty. He's, he's right where he's supposed to be. But now, look at the colt. Verse 2, Ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. Think about that. A colt that no man has rode. Now, if you come back with me to Job 11. Job 11. When you think about the colt here, the donkey, you think about getting on the back end of a horse or a donkey that's never been rode on. We were riding our motorcycles when I had my motorcycle. And just a moment of silence, please. And uh, we were over in the Lake Pleasant area, and we come around the corner, and there's donkeys in the middle of the road. You know, we all kind of checked up real quick. 
We, you know, we've seen donkey signs everywhere as far as yellow signs that say donkeys beware. <laughs> but we, you know, boom. Well, they don't like you on their back. And yet, what is he able to do? Just put the garments on and go. Why? He's creator. He's got that control. He's deity. Look at Job 11. Look at verse 12. But this is really what he's doing here. For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. A lost man, a vain man. A lost man in Scripture is likened unto that wild, rebellious, untamed jackass, donkey. That's what he is. So in Mark 11, verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast his garments on him, and he sat upon him. No one would even try that. And yet, here is the Lord and he can control him, and he can, he can, he's going to carry him into, actually, he's going to take him into the city. Noise, population, and so forth. So, again, what, what made the difference? Well, come back to Psalms 110. The cult is going to represent the spiritual condition in the nation of Israel. They are stiff-necked, stubborn rebellious, unwilling to be put within the yoke of God's law. And yet, what does Christ do? He comes and he tames them. And he does. And he, Psalms 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's Acts 2. Paul, Peter quotes that. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. The people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the, beauty, the, uh, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. Notice, willing. That colt was willing to go. He was willing to come in. He was willing for the, the Lord to put on. So there you also have, not only do you have the stubborn, rebellious nature of the nation, but then you have the Lord taming the cult, if you will, and there you have that picture of that believing remnant in the cult, who in here, in Mark 11, what are they willing to do? They're willing to come, and they're willing to trust him, they're willing to follow him, so in Luke, go back to Mark 11. So in Mark here, everything that's going on here, again, time's up, so we're going to see more next time, but there's more about him getting that colt than him just riding in. The, the pictures of that transformation that the Messiah is going to produce in the nation through the believing remnant. And then right off into, well, the Calvary, but ultimately his glory. Now, notice in Mark 11, just real quick, look at verse 11, okay? Just kind of catch the flow here. So he comes riding in, he's doing all this, verse 11, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and, and now the even, you see how, how Mark just, he goes in the temple and then he leaves? See that? 
There's no detail. Now, Matthew and Luke and John, great detail. And we'll see that when we get down there. What I want you to do, see is, is he comes into the temple and then he just leaves. He looks around and he just goes. He, he comes in. He inspects the very heart of his nation. There's nothing favorable there in the temple. There's no response. There's no place for him. So then he leaves, and when he goes out, then verse 12, 13, and 14, he f comes up to that fig tree. It's not time for the fig tree to have fruit, but yet it's got leaves. So what do you have? You had that picture of, of Israel saying, I have figs, I have life, and yet when you get there, there's nothing. So then what does he do? He curses the fig tree. And again, the fig tree, the picture of the religious life of Israel. And I know the commentary guys and all that stuff, they got it all back. They say, no, it's this and that, and we've, we'll look at some of that when we get there. Then he turns right back around, and he goes back into the temple and kicks and cleans it up. <laughs> See, so you have... You have this picture happening here. And there's a tremendous flow of thought here in Mark. Again, we don't have all the details like Matthew and Luke and John, and we can plug those in, or you can go plug them in. But what I want you to catch is the flow of thought. It ends with the Pharisees ready to kill him. And that's where we're headed. Okay? So here, here the issue tonight, fulfilled prophecy. That's what he's doing. Everything is right where it is. It's time. He's counted the days down. Everything's perfect. The timing, it's fulfilled prophecy. Okay? When we studied Luke, when we first started many, many years ago, when I was a young man, <laughs> uh, long time ago, when we started Luke, I said it, and I still say it, no one should know more about the earthly ministry of the Lord than us. Because we not only appreciate what he's doing, but we appreciate the meaning of what he is doing. Because we can look back at it and, uh, and, and see it. Okay? So just kind of catch the feel. Now, we're going to go back in. And uh, I don't even know how many verses we looked at. We looked at kind of all of them, shotgun effect. So we'll go back and we'll look in some more detail uh, next time, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for all that we have in your Son. And we thank you for coming and dying at Calvary for all of humanity and then extending a day of grace so that we can reap that benefit. In your name we pray. Amen.